The Mysterious Circumstances podcast is hosted by Justin Rimmel. This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Justin and Shane, this is Tanya Spears from Alexander, Arkansas, just saying I love your show and can't wait to listen to it every week. Hey everybody, welcome to part three of Edgar Casey, the Sleeping Prophet. In this episode, I conducted an interview with somebody who has learned quite a bit from Edgar Casey's spiritual path and has included that and has incorporated that in her personal spirituality uh, it's extremely intriguing it very it, it really is um, the other one was my friend Ellie over in England who I specifically asked to research as a skeptic uh, she did a phenomenal job as well and actually touched base on quite a bit of things that I was gonna hit on in the facts and theories episode in part four but I would like to say before we get started, um, Ellie's was not actually an interview. We couldn't get our uh, work schedules and time frames uh, to match up, so she just submitted her audio, which I greatly appreciate. She did a phenomenal job. So I would like to extend my thank you to those ladies again. I appreciate it. Um, I have the utmost respect for you for helping me out for this. Thank you very much. And uh, I suppose on with the show. All right, everybody, this is Justin. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances, and this is part three of the Edgar Casey series where I conduct some interviews, one with a believer and one with a person who I specifically asked to be a skeptic. With us here right now is Casey. She is the believer of the group. Casey, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, I'm Casey. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Not really a whole lot interesting about me to uh, tell you guys. Uh, Yeah, that's about it. All right, fair enough. There's nothing wrong with that. The more interesting parts is going to come here soon, so. Yeah, that is, I, I definitely agree. So I guess let's get started with how did you find out about Edgar Casey and What, I guess, were the first impressions that drew you in? Okay, well, I'll start with this. Two years ago, I started on my spiritual path. So I kind of had a hard time figuring out some things about what I believe. Like, growing up, I was taught to believe a lot of things. And I was starting to um, kind of assess that. In my search, uh, I came across Edgar Casey. He kind of inspired me to take a whole different path than from what I was raised on. I've always believed in psychics and mediums and, you know, people of that nature. I had never had anything happen to me in that way until I opened up spiritually. And then I started experiencing things for myself. 
I was just uh, really impressed with his relationship with God. Him being a mystic, I'm a mystic, so I understand that aspect of who he was. Um, mystics seek unity with the divine, and uh, they seek knowledge and truth beyond the intellect. <clears throat> but I was very impressed and, and taken by the connection he had with the creator. So I guess at this point you have pretty much free reign to discuss whatever you so choose to about your personal beliefs and, and that of Edgar Casey, I suppose. All right. So Edgar Casey being a psychic, I truly believe that he was a real psychic. I don't say that because of things I've read about him. Everything I'm going to talk about is based off of my own experiences. And, and these are my beliefs personally. So they're not things I just read or things I've watched or whatever. Um, these are things I've experienced myself. So I believe that uh, Casey was given the same gift that we all possess. I believe that we are all born with some degree of psychic ability. Even skeptics are given the same gift, whether they choose to believe it or not. It is, however, a matter of choosing to seek out the knowledge on how to access and use this ability. Um, I believe that psychic ability is actually a natural experience. We just have to remove conditions within our physical consciousness and subconscious mind that blocks this natural occurrence. From Casey's readings, you can identify what seems to be the fundamental requirement for psychic experiences, and that's attunement. That's a coming together of mind, body, and soul. So attunement denotes vibration. We are energy. We are made up of patterns of various vibrations, and even modern science agrees with that. Uh, Casey's readings imply that the soul and mind are also demonstrations of energy that has been t that has taken on certain vibrational facets. In most people, the vibrational patterns of the mind, body, and soul are not working in a unified manner. Uh, attunement requires the transformation of mental and physical energy stipulations uh, or vibrations to those of the superconscious, which is the higher self. Mm -hmm. um, the awareness, that is the awareness of the soul. When attunement is attained, <clears throat> different experiences may present themselves. Uh, experiences like psychic ability, ESP, telekinesis, uh, and out-of-body experiences. Psychic ability is present in all aspects of life. However, generally, some people are not conscious of how they are rendering psychic impressions. So that would be like um, if you're driving down the road and you get the feeling that maybe you should switch lanes. You just feel it or something tells you switch lanes and you go, you, you keep driving and you happen to look back and this huge accident just happened behind you. You don't know where that comes from. And most people just kind of brush that off. 
Um, and that happens a lot. People just kind of brush it off and don't pay any attention to it. And that in itself is a reason why um, people don't have a strong psychic ability. So, yeah, people, people have um, psychic experiences all the time. They're just not aware that that's what it is. And they don't pay attention to it as such. And, of course, because we're supposed to be rational, um, you know, they try to explain it away. Something, actually something interesting that I've learned uh, is that I've noticed that in the skeptical people, they tend to be more left-brained. And the left brain is what controls you know, our rational mind, that's our rational mind. Right brain people tend to be more believers in these kinds of things and things like um, imagination and creativity and intuition um, deals with the right brain. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting. That is um, but Casey said that psychic ability is latent in everyone. So we all have it. It's just dormant. And although psychic awareness is dormant in all of us, there are some individuals who are able to consciously and consistently, they're able to tap into and use the ability. Okay. Developing psychic ability is like learning how to play an instrument. You have to believe you're capable of learning that skill and practice it. Um, I was going to ask for maybe some examples of how you do that. Okay. Um, well, first, the most important part of it is to um, recognize when you get impressions, like referring back to like the car accident scenario. You get these impressions. You trust in that. You know, trusting in spirit is probably the key to opening up to it. Um, so basically, listening to your intuition kind of starts the process, um, I, I use, uh, meditation a lot to open up what, what I have, what little bit I have. Um, but I use meditation to open that up. Okay. Um, you know, it's like, uh, a quote says something like in the silence of the mind, the soul speaks. So sometimes you just kind of have to shut down your monkey brain and listen. I agree. Um, but me, my belief in Edgar Casey's abilities being real is like I said before, it's not based solely on things that I've read or heard, but the basis of my beliefs relies on my own experiences, things that I've experienced firsthand myself. Um, and had I not experienced these things myself, I probably wouldn't believe in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for people who may not believe in it, I feel like they maybe just haven't experienced things of the spiritual nature. And I think, um, you know, for most of us, we have to see, hear, feel something to believe it. Yes. Um, we're humans and it's human nature to need proof. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I've had my own firsthand experiences in um, knowing or finding out things that I didn't acquire through any of my physical senses. I don't know where it, I 
am not, I, I have theories on where it comes from, but there are times where I've known something without knowing how I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, I can't yet acquire information on demand. <laughs> so I, I have experienced uh, random bursts of information, and it, it's gathered through non-physical but, you know, it's usually kind of random and can't make it happen, you know, just at the drop of a hat, but it happens. You know, I, I've even had experiences with ghosts. Um, I've had out-of-body experiences, and I've been successful with psychometry. Um, so through all of these experiences, I'm led to believe that anything of the metaphysical or spiritual Anything that's of that nature is possible. Okay. Um, you said psychometry, right? Yes. Could you maybe touch base on what that is? There's probably a lot of people who don't know that term. Of course. Um, so psychometry, everything that we come into contact with, everything that's ever been living has vibration. So, for example, when I have... Um, when I did a few, some psychometry exercises to kind of open up my abilities, I used my grandmother's ring. Uh, it was her engagement ring from my grandfather. And I had no prior knowledge of where this ring came from. Like, I mean, I knew that it was my grandmother's, but I had no idea that it was an engagement ring. I didn't know anything about it. So because she wore it, it had a lot of vibration her vibrations were basically like infused in it. So you can use clothing, um, watches, even furniture holds vibration. And for some people, um, they can hold an object or touch an object and they can pick up on the vibrations that are in these objects. So when I was holding her ring, I got a picture in my mind of my grandfather and then I got a picture of like um, a, a veil mm -hmm. that goes, you know, the, the that brides wear. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a, you know, I kind of put two and two together and um, I told my mom about this and she was able to confirm this. Okay. Um, and I've done that with several other pieces of jewelry that has belonged to other family members of mine where I knew the person, but I didn't know where they got their, got this object from. I didn't know when they got it. Another ring that I used um, was my nanny's and I was able to pick up that she, how long she had had this ring. Okay. So okay. that's what psychometry is. Okay. And picking up the vibrations of an object. That's uh, definitely pretty um, interesting. What? I said that's definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, something else that I came across when I have, you know, read read things about Edgar Casey. His predictions are pretty impressive. Some of them are, um, but I wasn't so like his predictions didn't kind of capture my attention as much as, you know, the other things he talked about, like the Akashic Re Records. Yes. He called it the universal mind. 
I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, that when the New Age movement came in, they called it the Akashic Records, but back then it wasn't called that. So he was talking about it even back then. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that um, he spoke about that and that being where he got some of his, his information. Yes. And I believe, I believe it is totally possible for there to be some type of universal consciousness that documents somehow everything we say, think, do, everything. Yeah. And that's where karma, I feel like, comes into play. Yes. Yes. Something or someone remembers that because if they didn't, then people would just get away with stuff all the time. Exactly. Or good people wouldn't, um, you know, good people wouldn't become blessed. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm going to touch base on that for a second. And for those of you who don't know what the Akashic Records or the Universal Mind that Casey was referring to, it's basically, I guess you could compare it. This is a very shitty comparison, but basically one supercomputer. That's what I compare it to. That's what, yeah, and that's like the closest comparison that you can make to it. It's that a basically he would get his information from the Universal Mind. It was the so hard to put into words but basically like you had said something that that logs all this information from energy and vibrations and that's what would feed him the information because if some of you in part one you know i touch base on the fact that when he would go into his trance the very first thing he would do was pray but when he was in his trance you would know because the first words out of his mouth was always you know, we can see the body or we have control of the body. He would never talk in the first person. It was always as if people were talking through him or somebody was talking through him. Personally, I find that very interesting. And the fact that he had no recollection of any of his readings until after he read them afterward, you know, kind of helps support that. I found that really interesting because, you know, like you said, scientists have pretty much proven that energy exists and everything you know did you ever notice too how when he would do his readings he always spoke um with like words like thee and thou and yes yes kind of kind of like um like how everything is uh written in the bible i don't know yeah i just thought that kind of strange yes it was and i think a lot of people forget and i don't want to say just skeptics but believers alike that edgar casey was a strict devout christian and at about that time where part one ended where he was in dayton and he gave his first life reading where he starts talking about reincarnation he really started questioning his beliefs a lot yeah and that's yeah. like that's all skepticism aside he went on a spiritual mission. You know, he started reading about Hinduism and started reading about Egyptian culture and what they believed in. He started reading about every single thing that he could to try to explain that. I don't know. It just it just goes back to the to the energy, I guess you could say. It does. My personal um, my personal beliefs are a little bit different than probably 95% of the human fucking race, but <laughs> Energy is well, we all have to be. <laughs> we can't all be the same. <laughs> yeah, and and energy, energy and nature play a big factor in in what I personally believe. 
and I have no no opinion either way of Casey. I'm just simply gathering information. But you know, it should it should be noted that he was the first person to question himself when it came down to the first life reading that he gave, because he was not he didn't know those questions were coming. And when he starts talking about the soul and and reincarnation and stuff, it it really gives you insight to basically how it it affected him personally. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that he himself probably wouldn't have believed in this thing, in this kind of stuff, had he not experienced it. Yeah, I would definitely agree. him questioning it at first obviously says that he was pretty mind-blown, didn't really know how to take it. Yeah. And and that's kind of how it is. Like I said, you know, we're humans. We need proof that things exist. Yeah. And I feel like until you experience it yourself, you're not going to believe that it's possible. I've had um, out-of-body experiences, and when I was kind of experimenting with this and learning how to do it, I would read things and different people would talk about the astral realm and like things you can come into contact with there and things you can do. And I kind of felt like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't (laughs) really sound very logical, but until I experienced it myself, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't sure that that was even possible. Like me and you, me and you were talking like beforehand and I'm sorry to interrupt, but you brought up a really good point. It's that it's when like you yourself and me personally as well with, you know, me looking into this stuff, it's, it's human nature to look into it, not believing it. Oh yeah. You have to have, you have to be skeptical. You have to approach everything in a skeptical way. Mm Mm-hmm or else we'd all just believe everything we ever heard or saw. We'd all be a bunch of just naive, gullible people. We'd all be Um, a bunch of two-year-olds is what we'd be. Having a certain degree of skepticism is healthy. It is very healthy. You know, it's a good idea. Because there's there's a lot of fakes out there. There is, you know, it's funny because I see it from both sides just because of where I sit, you know, doing this podcast, I have to hold a non-biased opinion to provide the listeners with the most facts and valuable information that I can so they can base their own opinions. But a lot of people bring up that, you know, there's, I can't remember who the hell the guy's name is and he will get brought up in the, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure in the, in the skeptic part of the interview but he still has a standing offer of $1 million if a face psychic can prove in a controlled environment that they are a psychic. And nobody has collected this money. You know, the Sylvia Browns of the world have not come forward to say, yeah, I'm truly a psychic. I can't remember who the other guy is that's that used to be on Oprah and shit all the time. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, is that like... James Van Prague, or no, maybe no, not. I want to say Edwards. I think his last name is Edwards. Oh, John Edwards. John Edwards, that's it. Oh, I remember crossing over with John Edwards. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, you know, but. Well, and at like the, you think about Miss Cleo. 
She made it like <laughs> look clear. bad yeah. for a lot of yeah. psychics. Yeah, she did. Her and fucking what was it? The Latoya Jackson. <laughs> it's horrible, but at the in the same respect, it's you know there's a lot of psychics out there that are that will be the first ones to tell you it's not it's not a science. It, you can't yeah. pinpoint shit exactly because it's not a clear channel. It's you know this and it's that. But at the right. same time, I do think there are psychics out there. That would be able to do that. And me personally, I, I honestly, in all the research I've done in the Facts and Theories episode, which would be part four, I will touch base on a certain individual who was very, very famous. And he spent the last part of his life debunking psychics. And he actually sat down with Edgar Casey and had a reading from Edgar Casey. And every time that this individual would debunk a psychic because he would know he knew their tricks because of what who he was. And you guys will know exactly who I'm talking about when I get to that part. I'll touch base on him a little bit in uh in the second part of Edgar Casey's life too, but he was very vocal when he debunked a psychic. He was mad. He thought they all were charlatans that are preying on the vulnerable, trying to make contact with with dead loved ones but after his meeting with edgar casey he had nothing to say he said nothing absolutely nothing and the meeting was between him and edgar casey and one other person and they all agreed none of them spoke about it and i think that is a very interesting fact to keep in the back of your minds because when somebody literally dedicates their life to debunking psychics and meets with Edgar Casey and has absolutely nothing to say about it, that's a pretty interesting fact. You know, you can take that as you will and, you know, I still got to be 50-50 on it. You know, I got to explore all angles, but I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I think um, that that's pretty interesting. And I'll tell you who it is after this interview and you can look into it. It's really fucking cool. It is really fucking cool. Okay. Yeah, because I would really like to read about that. Uh, yeah. Actually, the things that I have um, read about with Casey um, haven't so much been his psychic readings or his medical readings. Um, what I get more interested in with the things that he had to say and yes. teach was more about um, stuff about the soul and the yeah, mind. definitely. So I actually did not know about this um, skeptic that uh, had a reading from him just just because I I got more interested in uh, a different as aspect of you know some of the stuff that he talked about yeah um, about the mind body and you know soul all right. being intertwined as one and exactly because um, I have a very deep interest in um, consciousness you know, a, a big interest in the soul and you know what it is where it came from what it's for what its purpose is and you know i'm not even looking to prove to anybody else that it exists but proving it to myself is what's most important to me <laughs> but because i have such a curiosity in in that aspect of um, you know what he had to say that's what i've kind of uh, read about the most, you know, and him being a mystic, 
like I said before, when I kind of had some trouble figuring out what my beliefs were and what I was, he, like reading what he had to say really kind of put things in perspective and made me realize um, that my path was meant to be the path of a mystic. So then I started um, researching about mysticism and that's when I really realized, okay, this is it. This, this is, this is my path. And so, um, you know, then I actually, um, became a member of the mystical order of the Rosicrucians and they actually talk about a lot of stuff. They talk about, um, Casey. So they, they use a lot of his teachings too for their members and their students. So I thought it was pretty cool um, to read some of what they had to say about him and his abilities. Now, would you say, personally for me, I mean, yeah, his predictions are cool and, and the healings, you know, are great. And it's it kind of sucks because all, all the skeptics, you know, they're they're like, well, there's no documented proof. Well, in all actuality, there's 14,145 readings that Edgar Casey give that are documented word for word. Yeah. Now those are all logged in the there are what a lot is of it? Books. There's a lot of, of books. His- yes, and as of now, all his readings are contained in the what is it? The Association of Research and Enlightenment, the ARE, which is a foundation based on Edgar Casey's teachings. The one thing yeah. that absolutely pisses me off about ARE is. For one, it's almost like a fucking cult. Okay, I'm not even going to lie. Like, <laughs> these people are kind of fucking weird. And I'm a little weird, and I'm calling these people fucking weird. <laughs> Which is a sad fact of reality. But the one thing that Casey was very adamant about was that he would he would not charge for readings. And he tried walking away from doing readings so many times, but people kept pulling him back in, and he could never say no to the needy. Now, it should be stated, okay, that when he got involved with some of the investors he was involved with, they were charging for readings in exchange for them financing his art and photography studio. The thing that that upsets me the most about ARE is in order to read or get any information on these readings whatsoever you have to pay your membership fee you have to be you have to pay your yearly dues and you 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 basically have to do everything that edgar casey was against it's kind of like slapping him in the fucking face to me personally because yes he did take donations you know he had a fucking hard life he was not a rich man ever and he still wouldn't fucking charge people. I don't know. Just touching base on the ARE, and I'll touch base on that a lot more, you know, in facts and theories. And, you know, after part two is released, which it's not yet, people will learn a little bit about ARE and stuff like that and uh, his hospital that he started. It's that kind was pretty of, heartbreaking how the hospital did out. <laughs> it didn't either. Because I think that, that it would have been great for people in that time because there there wasn't that holistic and energy healing there wasn't that there wasn't back then and casey actually was one of the one of the front runners for using 
electrical current for treating illnesses, which is a very, very common practice now. But at the time, he was one of the one of the people carving the path for various like medical treatments, especially holistic medicine. It's you know even today, not that many people are familiar with it because they think it's you know crock of shit, you know whatever else, which everybody's entitled to their own shit. But in all honesty, when conventional methods work, what fucking what do you have to lose? Right. And that's true. That's very true. You know, it's like for people who believe in the existence of the soul, that's your energy Mm -hmm. and keeping your energy cleared and balanced is going to make you even physically a much healthier person Mm -hmm. on, on so many levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, your spiritual health is the foundation that's where it all starts. And I think the fact that he opened that up to make it possible for people to have that kind of, you know, holistic way of treating people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that that was really amazing. And if, you know, people can't or don't want to respect him for his abilities or his, you know, the stuff that he you know, the information he got, I think he could at least be respected in a way that he wanted to help people in a very natural way. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons Uh, he wanted to start that hospital was because he found out that people who came to him for readings for help on, you know, medical issues weren't following his advice. So they weren't healing or getting better. So he actually wanted to start this hospital. So the, the process could be you know, supervised, I guess you could say, so that he could make sure that they were doing what they were supposed to do and getting better. Because, right. you know, even even as a little kid, you know, he wanted to help people. It se- Yeah, it seems like it. And I think he probably really did help a lot of people. And I think some of the things that he did or told people who didn't believe, uh, maybe they just um, weren't open to it. I think half of the key to anything spiritual in nature is that, you know, being open to it and being open to maybe possibly believing in it. Yeah. It's like I always tell people, you know, you're never going to find magic if you don't believe in it. Right. Or at least be open, open to searching for the possibility. I think a lot of it too is, you know, a lot of people can, I don't want to say relate to Casey, but I guess at the end of the day, you know, he, uh, there's a lot of things about him that, you know, I'm skeptical of personally, but there's a lot of things that I can relate to. The fact that he was the very first person to question himself, because when he found out he could do this shit, he was fucking scared to death. He didn't know what it was. He couldn't control it. You know, he was, he had a person, you know, Al Lane helping him for the first year. Because he didn't, he didn't know how to do any any of this. He didn't know what it was, and he didn't want to give medical readings. It scared the shit out of him because, and you know, in his own words, he says, "All it takes is one wrong thing to make me a murderer." And he's like, "I don't want that." People kept convincing him, "No, man, like you can do this. Like, you know, do it." And I think that's what a lot of people in, I guess you could say, the skeptic realm forget. 
It's like he didn't start off as a young teenager saying, hey, I'm going to do all these readings and I'm going to be this fucking great psychic and I'm going to be a person who, yeah, and get all this money and start a fucking hospital. You know, like, that's nobody's dream. Like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fucking stuntman. I didn't want to start a hospital. I don't know. Right. I, I think a lot of people disregard that fact. Like, he didn't want to do this shit, but he kept getting pulled back into it by various people and even family members. You know, his young, his his one son and, you know, his wife being sick. And But when he started hitting in the life readings, which we t- touched base on a lot in part two, that's when... I don't want to say shit started getting weird, but that's when people started looking at him a lot differently. And he suffered a lot of repercussions from it. But he was so adamant about what he believed in that towards the end of his his life, he started giving readings on the process of his readings. He, he would explain in detail what he would see when all this information would start coming to him. I mean, it's really, really interesting. It is. But I think for me personally, as, as, as on the belief side, as the believer side, which I will be on the skeptic side in my next interview, on the believer side, it's, it's hard to deny the fact that I think Casey just wanted to help people be better. Just better fucking human beings, you know? And I can relate to that um, myself. I mean, I... I how has like it affected you? Well, I've always been somebody who, like, I, I have a really hard time seeing people struggle, seeing people in pain, seeing people hurting. I'm an empath, so that affects me very greatly, and it affects me very deeply. Yeah. Um, whether a person is struggling or, or hurting um, physically or mentally or emotionally, um, I can feel it. And so being that way makes me really want to help other people. And, and you know, I have been through a lot in my life, a lot of struggle. I know personally for myself, uh, I've been working on opening up and honing in on whatever abilities I have and... I've never wanted to be rich or famous from it. I've just wanted to help other people. I'm an empath, so other people's pain and struggle affects me. I feel it myself. I feel what they feel. And it sucks, you know, because it's it's hard for me to see other people hurting physically, mentally, negative things they may feel. I feel that too, so it, it gives me... It makes me feel bad for them because I've, mm-hmm. I've been through a lot of struggle and, and a lot of pain in my life. So it's hard to see other people go through it. So, you know, whatever abilities I may have that I'm trying to open up and, and use would be solely to help other people. Okay. I don't have any, uh, I know me personally, I don't have any, um, desire to make money from it or become famous in in any way i want to help other people and i can totally relate to that a couple listeners know but i am also an empath and i know i'm putting myself out there quite a bit to be judged by many but it really fucking sucks it really sucks i can't be in large groups of people i have fucking 
social anxiety problems because of it. I'm learning. And I've got a lot of depression in my life because of it. And it's not even mine, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's It's not even mine. Yeah, I'm I'm getting to the point where I've I'm starting to learn how to shut it off, but you can never totally shut it off. No. But I totally understand what you're saying and like I think that was a lot of Casey too. He just he couldn't say no. And I would be willing to bet that he was empathic too. I would have to say so. I would definitely have I to say so. Um, I mean, obviously I, he I feel like it, you know, a lot of people with those kind of abilities are very sensitive. I would agree. I don't know. To me, most days it's more of a curse than a blessing, but everybody's like, no, that's a good thing. No, fucking, it's not. It's a pain in the ass. It, it is for me. So I definitely understand your, your struggles. And that personally, on the believer aspect of Casey, that's the one thing that I can... I can relate to, I guess you could say, because no guy grows up dreaming of building a hospital so he can fucking help people. A lot of people lean more towards his predictions and, you know, there's a lot of predictions that he made that were major that have come true and are still happening today. And a lot of people don't realize is that he makes predictions way into the future he didn't just stop at you know the 90s or the 80s or or the 2000s you can see some of his predictions for next year if you want they're they're all over the place now for the the skeptic side yeah a lot of his a lot of his shit didn't come true i mean it was it was wrong but on the believer side it's more than than predictions it was his thought process, I guess you can say, on the universe and the human soul, and that the human soul never dies. It lives on. It just lives. It is. It dies in one plane of existence and lives on into another, and it's basically a continuous learning experience. Yes, exactly. It, it, that's, that's a lot of um, the things I found most interesting interesting about what he had to say that that part of it is what really caught my attention yeah he was a very very deep individual and you know i said it before and i'll say it again he was when he after he gave his first life reading which he didn't know was going to happen and he was reading the the, uh, transcript afterward he was i don't want to say almost appalled but he was in disbelief that he was saying these things because you know, he never sat down and remembered any of this shit. So when he looked back, he's like, well, what the fuck? You know, he's like, I've been, you know, this hardcore Christian for this long. I don't believe in reincarnation. Now, there is some things about, you know, him searching through the Bible to find proof of, you know, reincarnation, reincarnation and you know, I will I will touch base on that in the skeptic interview because I do have to play both sides of the coin uh, just to make it just to make it even for everybody. I try not to hold the biased opinion, but at the end of the day, I think there's some things that are just undeniable. Me personally, you know, I think above all, Casey did 
he I think he was a good man. I think he had a lot of integrity, and I think he wanted to help people. And he didn't want to help them personally. I think he wanted to teach people how to help themselves and, you know, how to find their, their purpose in life and their soul's mission and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It's pretty deep for a lot of people. And some people are just like, this is, this is the craziest dumb shit I've ever read in my life, <laughs> you know? But for others, it really touches close, you know, really close to home. So, you know, it does for me. Which is why he's been an important figure to me. He really inspired a lot of things in, in, in me. So Overall, would you say that getting into Casey's outlook on life and the metaphysical, would you say overall he has helped you become a better person? Yes, I think so. Well, stuff that he's, you know, his teachings and... The books I've read, uh, which aren't by him, they're by other people, but they're what he spoke about in, in his um, readings. I don't remember what he called those. What are those? Uh, I don't know. I know he had a stenographer, so it possibly That's was it. a stenograph. Yeah. Like, but, but see, I haven't also just only picked up a lot of this stuff from him. There have been other people. Like, I, I have other um, spiritual inspirations, but just a lot of the things that he's talked about really made me, really made me think, really made me search myself. So, yeah, I think that was what he was trying to do. I think, you know, yeah. It's hard to tell since he's not around. Supposedly, he will be reincarnated in the year 2100 in Nebraska, of all places. Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In Nebraska. who or what he comes back as. Well, there's, there's one person who claims that he is already the reincarnation of Edgar Casey, And one of the people helping me out with research uh, gave me a link. It's pretty interesting, but I'm pretty sure... If the real deal Edgar Casey gets, you know, comes back reincarnated, I'm pretty sure there's, you know, the entire world's going to know about it. Especially ARE. I have very little respect for the foundation that adopts him as their founding father and shit. But just because of the fact, I they they go against a lot of what he stood for. Really you, make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know damn well they're going to exploit the shit out of whoever whoever that person might be if that time does come around. Have you covered pretty much everything that you would like to discuss with the listeners? I think so. Sorry yeah. I did so much talking over you. It's okay. <laughs> so I guess for, like, a closing thought, is there one thing, is there anything that you would want to express to believers and skeptics alike about, you know, your your thoughts on Edgar Casey and your personal beliefs? Well, I think the most important thing to look at when it comes to Edgar Casey is that he did want to help people and he was humble about everything that he did. And I think if there's nothing else that could be said about him that was real his willingness and and kindness to help other people should be respected if anything else 
that should be something that everybody looks at. I do agree. Good closing statement there. (laughs) Very heartfelt, Casey. (laughs) All right. Well, I suppose uh, with all that out of the way, I know my skeptic interview did request to go after yours. Well, that's okay. And like I said, (laughs) there needs to be a skeptical angle. So, and you know what? I, I myself can respect other people for being different. You know, not everybody has to believe what I believe. So I agree. I agree. Totally. I think our beliefs, our differing beliefs are what makes us unique and different. So exactly. So I guess, uh, you know, I'm going to take a pause for a straight little break here to play a couple commercials and then I will be back with our skeptic and I'll see you guys here in a few. And Casey, thank you very much for coming on here and and expressing your beliefs and opinions. Not many people are willing to do that because of just who Edgar Casey was in general and some people's opinions on him and stuff like that. So yeah. I respect that and I appreciate it. I suppose I will see you later. Okay. All right. You take care. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. Hi. It's great to be back on Mysterious Circumstances again. Um, The previous two times I was on the show, I was covering true crime cases. This time it's a little bit different. um, And I think I have to say I was perhaps a little bit naive when it came to this case. Um, I didn't quite realise what I'd gotten myself into in terms of the amount of research involved. Uh, There there was absolutely loads of research to do. um, And that's not to say I didn't work hard on the other two episodes I did for Mysterious Circumstances, because I did do my research for those. But this, this case really was something else. Edgar Casey lived to be 67 years old, by which point he had done literally thousands of readings. He'd made numerous predictions and that all adds up to a lot of research. So just as a disclaimer now, given that sheer volume of material to cover, it unfortunately was not possible for me to address every single reading or prediction that he made. I What I've tried to do as a compromise is focus on some of Casey's most well-known claims and offer up an explanation as to how he might have done them. So, um, as, as I said, I'd never heard of Edgar Casey before, um, and Justin had asked me on the show specifically to debunk him. Um, so while I admittedly am instantly suspicious of anybody who calls themselves who calls themselves a psychic, I was willing to look at Casey and his claims objectively. Um, after all, I'd never heard of him before, so I had no preconceptions. Um, I want to be clear now that I am by no means an expert on Casey or psychics in general. And what I'm about to say, it's just my opinion. So I I really don't want to discredit or offend anybody who believes differently to me. This this is just just my opinion. Um, So the exact word that Justin used when he pitched this idea to me was debunk. But I don't really like this word. Um, I can't debunk Casey's abilities because it's impossible to prove a negative. I suppose it's similar to um, to how I wouldn't be able to prove to you that Santa Claus isn't real. Uh, In the same way, I can't prove to you that Edgar Casey was a fraud. What I can do, or what I will at least try to do, is show you why I think it was very unlikely that Casey had any special abilities. 
When you search Edgar Casey online, you get a lot of hits. The man obviously made his mark. Um, even some 70 plus years later, people are still talking about him. So, you know, he's he's obviously somebody who has been perhaps somewhat of a controversial figure in his time and even after his death. A cursory Google search will tell you that he predicted the 1929 stock market crash, that he foresaw the fall of communism in Russia, and that he could cure illnesses that even the most revered doctors of his time couldn't. So, obviously seeing that, I thought, wow, I really do have my work cut out for me. I've got to somehow disprove all of this. Um, but the more I read about Casey's miraculous predictions, the more I came to question them. His actual quotes on a lot of a lot, when you when you read the actual quotes that he gives on a lot of these matters, they're actually quite vague, and I I found that sometimes they even bordered on the incoherent. What his followers now claim was his prediction for the fall of the Soviet Union, for example, was extremely vague and it very conspicuously failed to give any specifics such as the dates of when this collapse was to come about or any of the reasons behind it. Furthermore, many of the predictions, whilst impressive at first glance, transpired to be regurgitations of already known information. So, you know, I'd look up a claim that he made and then find out, well, actually, at the time he made this prediction, this information was already known. Um, I have to say, some of his absolute boldest claims were, were the miracle cures that he would offer to sick people or people with illnesses, but I found that these were almost without exception, totally unverified. Lastly, there were the stories from his boyhood days. Um, for example, he had visions of an angel, which Justin mentioned in part one of, of this series. Um, but these stories are old stories, they're uncorroborated, and they've been passed down over several generations. And just like all, all old stories that are handed down through the generations, these outlandish tales are subject to being exaggerated or changed. It's like Chinese whispers, you know, it, the story may have started out one way and, you know, however many years down the line, it's, it's somehow suddenly very different. So um, I believe that psychics today are so popular because they offer something exciting. They're a break from the mundane. And because of this, when I knew that when Justin asked me to present a skeptic's view of Edgar Casey, I would probably be fighting somewhat of an uphill battle. As a skeptic, I take away that excitement and seemingly offer nothing in return. Um, and I, I wanted to mention confirmation bias here because I think I think it's relevant. So for, for those who don't know, confirmation bias is the propensity to favour or embrace information that confirms one's existing beliefs and to disregard or downplay information that contradicts those beliefs. So. For those who believe that Casey truly did have psychic abilities, I doubt that anything I can or will say will persuade them otherwise. I fear that my explanations, no matter how rational or how sound, may be disregarded if they contradict long-held beliefs. As I am no expert in psychics or the supernatural, I made it clear to Justin right at the beginning, and I'd like like to make it clear to you now, that there almost certainly will be things that, that Casey said that I can't explain. But then I ask myself, does that really matter? So as an example, 
Have you ever seen a stage magician perform and found yourself thinking, wow, I have no idea how he did that? Or um, a specific example would be the American magician David Copperfield when he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. You know, that was that was an incredible trick and I have no idea how he did it. But does that mean that I believe that real magic was going on? No, of course not. You know, we know that there's some kind of clever trickery or stunt work at play, even if we can't exactly explain how a trick was done. And for me, this way of thinking applies to Casey. So perhaps he did do some things that I can't explain, but does that make him psychic? Or is it more plausible that he employed tricks and techniques to make himself appear to know things he seemingly couldn't have known? So while you're listening to Justin's episodes on Edgar Casey, I'd like you to keep a question in your mind that you keep asking yourself. Is it more likely that this man used trickery and deceptive techniques to appear to be psychic, or that he truly could speak to the dead, cure ailments without medical training and predict the future? Which is more realistic? So what I was hoping to do was cover some general techniques that we see used by psychics and um, people in the faith healing industry. And then after that, I'm going to address some specific claims that Edgar Casey made and offer up my explanation as to how I think he might have made those predictions. So I'll start off talking about suggestion. Suggestion is a technique that influences a person's thinking or behaviour, often without that person being aware that they're being influenced. So, for example, it's possible to become drunk for all intents and purposes, even if you've not actually consumed any alcohol, if you've been led to believe that your drinks were alcoholic. This is how the placebo effect works. We believe so strongly in something that we know should happen that we ensure that it does. Suggestion is such a powerful technique that it can even eliminate pain. The healer heightens mental expectations of his abilities in the subject's mind and, as a result, the pain is suspended. After all, the nature of pain is subjective. So, for example, have you ever cut your finger or grazed your knee and you didn't actually realise it until you looked down and saw blood? The placebo effect is a good example of suggestion. Medical trials will often feature two groups. We'll have the control group, who are unknowingly given sugar pills, and the test group, who are given the actual medication. And we find that often the sugar pill takers in the control group do as well or better than their test group counterparts. In a nutshell, the placebo effect describes the ability of a pill to yield results purely because the taker believes that it will. And I think this explains how Casey was able to provide treatments with no medical training. His concoctions likely had no medically beneficial properties, but because the person taking them believed them to be powerful, they worked anyway. The readings Casey did, in which he was said to have healed subjects, seemingly without any prior knowledge of the patient and without medical training, reminds me of the faith healing industry. Faith healing involves chosen individuals channeling the Holy Spirit to heal those inflicted with injury or illness. Faith healers use the technique of suggestion, sometimes with hypnosis, to make the subjects believe that they are being cured. Some popular techniques among faith healers include misrepresenting the extent of, an, of a person's ill health. So, for example, calling somebody who is partially sighted blind. The healer can claim success when the blind person is say, able to describe the colour of a handkerchief when, in fact, most partially sighted people are able to see blurs of colour. 
And to me, this begs the question of how ill those Casey supposedly cured actually were. Were their illnesses exaggerated to begin with, like we see in the faith healing industry? While researching Casey, another question occurred to me. How do we know what information Casey already knew or had access to? Sure, his readings were all carefully recorded by his stenographer, but what, what, does, what do they really prove? Casey may have been fed information before each reading from his assistants, for all we know. We know that he had a lot of people around him, um, assistants, his family, academics. Information could have come from any one of those people, or possibly even from the patient themselves. It could even be something as simple as him seeing a person's picture before he did a reading and then being able to take visual cues from that. We really have no way of knowing what Casey knew before he gave each reading, so the transcripts of these sessions prove nothing, in my opinion. This, too, is reminiscent of faith healers, many of whom use prayer cards. These are cards that subjects are to fill out with personal information before the session, and they make it appear that God is speaking to the faith healer when they read this card beforehand. It makes them appear that they know information about the subject that they couldn't possibly have known. Could Casey or his associates have had potential patients fill out something similar? We have no way of knowing. Another person I wanted to mention is James Randy. James Randy is a retired American-Canadian stage magician and professional sceptic. His organisation, the James Randy Educational Foundation, started the $1 million Paranormal Challenge. So this challenge offered a prize of $1 million to anybody who was able to demonstrate supernatural ability under scientific testing criteria agreed upon by both sides. The challenge was terminated in 2015 without ever having had a single person win the prize money. But we can dig a little further back in time to examine the roots of modern day mediumship. The most commonly accepted founders of spiritualism were the Fox sisters, and this was back in the 1800s. They toured America with their claims of being able to speak to the dead. Word of their wild seances and elaborate readings spread, and soon seances were a common pastime of the middle and upper classes. After 40 years, one of the sisters confessed that she and her sisters were frauds. But this made very little difference to the popularity of spiritualism, which continues to this day. Some believers would argue that they have personally met with or spoken to a psychic who told them things that there's no way they could have possibly known. Psychics employ a technique known as cold reading, which I'm sure many listeners will have heard of, but for those not familiar, cold reading is when a psychic makes a vague statement or comment that could be applicable to a lot of people. The psychic will have scored a hit when the subject confirms that this statement applies to them in some way and will use the feedback from the subject as guidance on what to say next. The cold reader will remain ambiguous and rely on the subject to connect the dots. A good example of this is the Barnum effect. This is a well-known experiment where a group of people are each given a unique horoscope reading. We usually see the reading get very high scores, typically 4 or 5 out of 5 for accuracy. The individuals are then asked to pass their horoscopes to their neighbour, and it's, it is at this point that it's revealed that each person was given the exact same reading. That's despite each member of the group feeling as though they were given a unique reading that was extremely accurate. And this just shows how very generic statements that phrased in a certain way can be can sound as though they're aimed and tailored exactly to us, when really they're not. Due to confirmation bias, people tend to remember the hits and disregard the misses. 
Like faith healers, cold readers are not above looking subjects up online and researching them. In fact, even TV psychics have been known to use hidden microphones to listen in on their audience. Cold readers often study the data so that they can make educated guesses about their subjects based on appearance, age, race, hometown, etc. For example, it is reasonable to assume that a per- to assume that a person in their late 20s will have lost at least one grandparent or if a person is over 50 for example, there's a decent chance that they suffer from some form of back pain. If you're not suspicious and you take the psychic's comments at face value, it can seem really incredible. So there, I've covered some general techniques employed by psychics and faith healers that I believe were likely used by Casey to perform his healings, but now let's look at some of his specific accomplishments. Casey gives detailed medical diagnoses and remedies without prior medical knowledge. So I've touched on this above with the placebo effect and the power of suggestion in reducing or eliminating pain. I've also explained that any miraculous diagnoses need to be taken with quite a large pinch of salt because we really have no way of knowing what information Casey was already was already aware of at the time of his readings. But there's another angle to this too. At a time when medical science was far behind where it is now, there were illnesses and diseases that weren't even recognised in the medical community, much less had agreed upon ways of being treated. Even nowadays, there's disagreement among doctors as to how to diagnose a patient's symptoms. Different doctors may diagnose or prescribe differently if a patient has symptoms that are generic or vague. Some diseases we now know of had not even been discovered back in Casey's day. So, yeah, perhaps Casey did diagnose some diseases, but who's to say his diagnoses were were even correct? Casey is asked to demonstrate his abilities in 1906 at the age of 29 for doctors. He examines and correctly diagnoses every student that came in for a reading. So this is something that Justin mentioned in part one, um, but after researching it myself, I found that it was not actually several students, but one student who was examined and diagnosed by Casey. Casey correctly diagnosed the student in question as having typhoid fever. Again, we have to ask the question of what information Casey had or had access to prior to this reading. And even if we put that aside, we can still question the accuracy of Casey's diagnosis. Typhoid fever was more common back in those days. But how can we know that Casey's diagnosis was correct? Sure, doctors might have confirmed it as correct back then, but... Even as of 2014, 1 in 20 Americans who seek outpatient medical care are said to be misdiagnosed. I can only imagine that that figure was much higher back then. Doctors jab at Casey with needles and he doesn't flinch or bleed. It is possible to hypnotise or self-hypnotise so that a person does not feel pain. As I described earlier with the power of suggestion, pain can be eliminated. This is not dissimilar to the mind-over-matter meditation techniques used by Buddhist monks who walk over hot coals without feeling any pain. And in fact, I personally have witnessed a stunt performed by English mentalist and illusionist Darren Brown. The stunt involved a needle being pushed through the skin on the back of an audience member's hand without any pain being caused to the subject or even blood being drawn. Brown uses suggestion to cause the subject to lose all sensation in his hand so that he was unable to feel the needle piercing his skin. I was in the audience and saw this live, but you can see this for yourselves by searching Darren Brown Svengali Needle in YouTube. It should be noted that Brown does not claim to have any supernatural abilities and in fact many of his shows are aimed at exposing those who do. 
Casey cures his wife of TB. This certainly sounds impressive at first glance. However, when I looked up Casey's exact diagnosis, it suddenly didn't seem quite as amazing. So here's the actual quote from Casey. From the head, pains along through the body from the second, fifth and sixth dorsals and from the first and second lumbar. Tie-ups here, floating lesions or lateral lesions in the muscular and nerve fibres which supply the lower end of the lung and the diaphragm in conjunction with the sympathetic nerve of the solar plexus coming in conjunction with the solar plexus at the end of the stomach. There's no mention of TB here. In fact, the only thing that remotely nods towards a diagnosis of TB is the mention of the word lung. So are we to take this as an accurate diagnosis of TB? If we do, we must disregard all the other nonsense that was in that reading. His mention of dorsals, first and second lumbar, tie-ups and floating lesions were way off base. Furthermore, it should be noted that TB, whilst undoubtedly a very dangerous disease, was not an automatic death sentence. Consider this. A sanatorium was set up specifically for sufferers of TB in the UK around the same time as Casey's wife's diagnosis, and it had a survival rate of 56%. That means that even in conditions where you would be locked up in close quarters with other people suffering from TB, you still had a greater than 50% chance of surviving. Casey's wife was not confined to such an institution, and she was an otherwise healthy woman in her prime. It is not unreasonable to conclude that she would have had a decent chance of surviving TB with or without Casey. I was unable to find what specifically Casey prescribed his wife for her TB, but it should be noted that Casey was surrounded by a variety of doctors and people with medical training. He would have been up to speed on what the treatments of the day were for people with TB. Casey saves son Hugh Lynn's eyesight with tannic acid. So this is something as well that Justin mentioned in part one. Hugh Lynn had burned his eye with a match and some flashlight powder. Now, Given that tannic acid was a known and common cure for burns at the time, coupled with the fact that Casey was surrounded by medical professionals, I do not find this even remotely evidentiary of any special ability on Casey's part, psychic or otherwise. Casey predicts his own death. So Edgar Casey passed away on January the 3rd, 1945. On January the 1st, he made the prediction that he would be buried in four more days. This would be a little more impressive if it weren't for the fact that Casey was extremely ill in the last few weeks of his life. In fact, he'd spent much of them in a coma. It would have been obvious to both Casey and those around him that he was not long for this world. Casey memorises a school book during a five-minute nap. This was uh, something else that Justin mentioned in part one. So I tend not to give a lot of credence to these types of stories as they're not verified or corroborated in any way. Furthermore, old stories like these get changed and exaggerated over the years as they are passed from person to person, so it can be difficult to establish what the original underlying version of events was. However, for this particular story, I believe it is worth addressing due to another event that would occur later in Casey's life. I believe that Casey may have had a photographic memory that enabled him to learn large amounts of information in short periods of time. This is demonstrated not only by this story with the school book, but also when Casey, as an adult working in a bookstore, was able to memorise the entire sales record of the store. This is undoubtedly impressive, but not exactly supernatural. Casey predicts the fall of communism in Russia. 
So again, I'd like to open this with a quote from Casey. This is the actual quote he gave on Russia. In Russia, there comes the hope of the world. Not in respect to what is sometimes termed communism or Bolshevism, no, but freedom, freedom. That each man will live for his fellow man. The principle has been born there. It will take years for it to be crystallised, yet out of Russia comes again the hope of the world. This quote is vague. It doesn't say when or how communism will end. In fact, it doesn't even explicitly say that communism will end. That's just how it's been interpreted. I find Casey's lack of specifics symptomatic of a man with no actual psychic abilities. After all, on a long enough time scale, a system as harsh and as unsustainable as communism was bound to come to an end. Casey is careful to avoid saying exactly when or how, though. This approach is similar to the one Casey takes when he predicts, in 1939, that two presidents would die in office. It was almost inevitable that this would happen on a long enough timescale. Sure enough, Franklin D. Roosevelt would die in office in 1945, John F. Kennedy in 1963. Just as with his collapse of communism prediction, Casey neglects to mention any specific dates or periods in which these two deaths in office would occur. Casey predicts World War II. Whilst Casey did predict an impending conflict with Nazism in Germany and Austria, his prediction was made in 1935. By this time, there were clear and known indicators of rising tensions in Europe. Hitler was in power by 1933, and his anti-Semitic policies were very much on the radar of the Allied countries. So much so, in fact, that in 1933, there was an anti-Nazi boycott in the UK and US. This was also the year that Japan would leave the League of, the League of Nations, as well as Germany. In 1934, the Austrian Civil War is fought and the Fascist Party wins. Any person who paid attention to current affairs and read a lot, like Casey, would have been made aware of the very real possibility of war by 1935, when his prediction was made. Casey is also credited with predicting Hitler's rise to power, but this is actually very misleading. Casey made his prediction in 1934, by which time Hitler was already Chancellor of Germany, having achieved this position a year prior, in 1933. The shift of the Earth's poles. Proponents of Casey like to argue that his prediction on the shifting of the Earth's poles is evidence of his psychic abilities. Casey's actual quote in 1934 was this. There will be shifting then of the poles, so that where there has been those of a frigid or the semi-tropical will be the more tropical and moss and fern will grow. And these will begin in those periods 58 to 98. Whilst a movement of the Earth's magnetic poles did indeed occur in 1998, this prediction is much less impressive than it, lo than it looks at first glance. The repeated reversal of Earth's poles is nothing new, and in fact it had been discovered in the 1920s by Japanese geophysicist Motonuri Matsuyama. It is very likely that somebody well-read and connected to academics, such as Casey, would have been aware of Matsuyama's groundbreaking discovery. Casey's prediction of the 1929 stock market crash and the Great Depression. Casey was far from the only person to foresee the looming financial crash that would occur on October the 29th, 1929. Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises predicted the occurrence of a huge credit crisis in the 1920s. Jesse Livermore, a famous American investor, also predicted this shorted the market and survived October 29th with $100 million in his pocket. My point is, 
The warning signs were there for those who were watching. It is no great feat of psychic ability that Casey was able to predict this. Any reasonably intelligent person who read up on current affairs and understood the basics of the banking system, such as Casey, could easily have sensed an impending market crash. The accelerated rate of lending at the time was clearly not sustainable and a crash was very likely. As ever, Casey was vague in his prediction, once again avoiding giving any specific details, such as the exact timing of or trigger for the crash. He also neglects to comment on the magnitude of the crash. His exact quote was this, We may expect a considerable break and bear market, see? This issue being between those of the reserves of nations and of individuals and will cause, unless another of the more stable banking conditions come to the relief, a great disturbance in financial circles. This quote could mean merely a bad day on Wall Street or a run-of-the-mill recession. It is absolutely not clear from Casey's quote that this would literally turn out to be the worst depression in American history. To put this into a modern-day perspective, the recent global financial crisis of 2007 to 2008 was predicted by some particularly astute individuals who were so sure of the impending financial disaster that they put their money where their mouths were and ended up very much rich men as a result. These people were by no means psychic. Rather, they paid attention to the financial markets, crunched the numbers and foresaw the looming disaster before anybody else. This story is artfully portrayed in the 2015 film, The Big Short. Things Edgar Casey was just plain wrong about. Casey claimed that China would one day be the cradle of Christianity. Casey was not just wrong about this, he was extremely wrong. A recent study found China to be the least religious country in the world. Casey predicted the onset of a great war over the emergence of a new world currency. Casey predicted the, the destruction of New York, Los Angeles and San Francisco in the period 1958 to the end of the century. By 2001, Casey said, the shift in the Earth's axis would have resulted in global catastrophes like the submergence of Japan, California breaking off and the disappearance of Georgia and New England. This also turned out to be completely, completely wrong. Casey also had some outlandish claims about ancient Egypt. He believed that he had lived a previous life as a high priest in ancient Egypt named Ra-Tar. He supposedly lived as Ra-Tar in the year 10,500 BC. This is widely rejected by archaeologists as impossible, as this time period was, in essence, a stone age in Egypt, some 7,000 years before ancient Egyptian society developed. Casey claimed that the Great Pyramid of Giza and the Sphinx were both built in Ra-Tar's time, even though carbon dating and analysis has shown that this timing was off by thousands of years. Casey also alleged that a chamber or hall of records could be found buried near the Sphinx's paw. Despite years of work around the pyramid and the Sphinx, no such chamber of records has ever been found. Atlantis was a fictional island continent from the works of Greek philosopher Plato. The legend told of the ancient civilization of Atlantis that was submerged in the Atlantic Ocean many millennia ago. Casey believed Atlantis not only to be very much a real place, but also had detailed stories about the inhabitants of Atlantis, and went so far as to ascribe Atlantean personalities to his patients in their former lives. Atlantis has never been found, and to this day there is no scientific evidence that it ever existed. In one of his more colourful predictions, 
Casey foretold of new land appearing in 1968 and 69, which he referred to as the rising of Atlantis. Whilst this never came to fruition, some point to the 1968 discovery of the Bimini Road as evidence of Casey's prediction. The Bimini Road is a geological formation near the Bahamian island of North Bimini. It is comprised of flat, squarish slabs that resemble a paved road. Consensus among the scientific community is that the road is nothing more than a natural geological manifestation known as tessellated pavement. Tessellated pavement is not uncommon or unique. In fact, there are many examples of this type of formation across the world, occurring in Oklahoma, Tasmania and Utah, to name but a few places. Of course, these are just some of the more famous incorrect predictions Casey made. How many more are there that were simply cast aside and forgotten about due to confirmation bias? Edgar Casey's income. So I wanted to touch upon this. It didn't really fit in anywhere else in the research I did, but I still thought it was worth mentioning. So there seems to be a misconception that Casey did not charge for his readings, but this is untrue. As a general rule, he did charge for his readings. He also received funding for a photography studio from his associate, Dr Ketchum, in exchange for readings. I was unable to find out any information on his net worth at the time of his death, so I can't comment on whether he ever truly became rich through his work, but I wanted to at least mention the financial aspect. As I stated in the beginning, I cannot disprove the view that Edgar Casey was a psychic or that he had special abilities that allowed him to see into the future. The best I can do is show why I believe it to be extremely unlikely that he had any such talents. Between the placebo effect of his miracle cures, his vague and ambiguous predictions, the uncertainty of what information he might have had access to before each reading, and his predictions of already known information, I hope my responses and explanations have given you pause for thought. And there you have it. I would again like to thank both ladies for coming on and uh, basically putting themselves out there for me. I appreciate that uh, more than they know. They both did a phenomenal job. Uh, I can't really thank them enough. I really can't. Um, but until next time, when I see you guys at part four, until next time, I'll see you folks on the flip side.